Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Most of you remember a story that both Matthew and Mark tell in their Gospels. It's a story about a conversation Jesus has with his disciples immediately after he institutes the Lord's Supper. Jesus is equipping them for what is to come. And of course, he's no respecter of persons. Some of what he must tell them, it's not very flattering. But he just says it outright. He tells them, you will all fall away. These are those most loyal to them, to him. And he looks at them and says, you will all fall away. By this he means that they'll all abandon him. And Jesus goes on to say something exceedingly encouraging as well. He doesn't just leave it there. He tells them that after they fall away and after he is raised from the dead... He's going to go ahead of them to Galilee. That's north of Jerusalem. He's going to go back up to that northern region. And those are some big messages. Jesus is basically saying, I know you'll ditch me, but don't worry about it. I'll meet you back home. Because that's where they came from. They came from the region of Galilee. Now, of course, Jesus' grace to them is not enough for the self-righteous Peter. He seems to completely miss the patience and kindness of Christ to him. And instead of being amazed at the Lord's favor toward him, sinner though he is, he gets stuck on the first part of Jesus' statement. He takes issue with just the mention that he, Peter the bold, would ever leave the side of Jesus, would ever be anything less than 100% loyal. Peter objects. He actually says, presumably within the hearing of the whole group, it certainly seems that way, and the others just had to love this when he did it. He says something like, even if they all leave you, I never will. I never will. It's worth remembering in this moment that Peter had already declared that Jesus was the anointed Savior from God. But notice the irony of Peter's arrogance. Peter's saying, yes, you are the Christ, but you don't know me very well, so let me educate you on my character. I would never leave you. I wonder what the look on Jesus' face must have been in that moment. He tells Peter essentially, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And even after Jesus lays down a clear prediction about Peter's character, Peter just cannot help but to defend himself. Matthew tells us that he goes on to say that even if he has to die with Jesus, he would never deny him. Mark tells us in his gospel that all the other disciples said the same kinds of things. And in the end... It ended up being just as Jesus said. The shepherd was struck and the sheep, the disciples, were scattered. They all ran away when Jesus was arrested. Peter did follow behind, initially seeming to fulfill his self-proclaimed stalwartness. But that didn't last long. In just a few short hours, he denied Jesus three times and the rooster crowed. Peter's self-evaluation was utterly undone. He was not who he thought he was. 
and it was heartbreaking to him to see the truth of his weakness, his immaturity. He went away weeping bitterly. No worries. Jesus continued to do exactly as he said he would do. He went to the cross. He rose again, taking up his life, and he goes before them to Galilee. He would appear to them and reveal himself to them alive after conquering sin and death, and Peter would experience the Lord's grace at a level he never understood he needed or imagined that he would. And this example of Peter, it shouldn't be lost on us. He was so self-assured in what he believed his character to be that he made bold declarations about his future response under life-threatening duress. He was proven oh so wrong. He made those declarations because of his pride. He said, this is who I am. He made those declarations because of his immaturity and because of a disconnect with reality. He thought he knew himself, but he didn't. But the Lord was graciously patient and established Peter in his grace, and he does the same for us. This gap between Peter's perception of his own character and his own spiritual maturity and the reality of his character and his spiritual immaturity brings to mind James's use of the mirror, and we would be wise to apply that lesson to ourselves today. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And once again today, God's Word will be our mirror. We will look into it and gain a more accurate self-understanding, a more clear self-evaluation. And the glorious thing about the mirror of God's Word is this. We see the reflection clearly so that we can make adjustments, so that we can correct errors in ourselves, so that we can grow to look more like Jesus. We do not look in the mirror of God's Word so that we can say, well, that's it. I don't measure up. It's never going to change. This is the way it's going to be. I'm just like this. This is just who I am, and there's no sense in trying to change it. No. The flaws that we see in the mirror of God's Word are meant to be corrected, and the Lord Himself gives us the grace so that they can be corrected. He, he doesn't show us so that we can be condemned. He doesn't show us so that we go away and say, well, that's just the way it is. He shows us so that we can become more like Him so that we can lay aside the weight and sin that keeps us from glorifying our Savior. We learn where we fall short, and we access the grace given through faith to make those connections. And in doing so, we grow up in Him. From today's Scripture, we're going to learn to love one another better, better. So look directly at the mirror of God's Word. Perhaps you have not loved your sisters and brothers 
as well as you may think. Perhaps you're crediting yourself with being full of love, but maybe you need to look again in that mirror. Now is the time for us to gain a true self-perception so that we, as a body, as a family in Christ, can become more mature and more useful for the glory of our Lord. I have a simple proposal for you today, and you'll see it comes right from the verses once we get to them, and it's this. He laid down his life for us, so we must love indeed and in truth. He gave his life, and he loved us in that way. We must do the same, and it must show itself. It must be applied. We must love indeed and in truth. And when I write here that we must love, I mean it how the Scriptures mean it. It means that we are to love one another. One another. That is not to say that loving people outside of the church is unimportant. It's not to say that, but it is to say that loving one another in the church is all important. It's critical. It's all important. I'll show you what I mean. So first of all, we know love. We know love. Let us remember the context for our text today. As we work through 1 John, these letters of John, we see that a big reason for this letter is so that we can know that we belong to Jesus. We can have that assurance. We can see the marks. We can look in the mirror of God's Word and we can say, I belong to Jesus because I see these things in me. And where we don't see them, we can make the adjustment. We can make the correction. That's what John is giving to us. And so that we know that we are the children of God. Like, like chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, or look at the love of the Father. He's given to us or lavished on us. That we become children of God. And one of the marks of belonging to Jesus is simply this. It's simply this. We love each other. God made us a part of His family, and as part of His family, we love the other members of the family. And this means that Christians should have a special enthusiasm, a special joy, a special affection for other believers, but it especially means that we ought to have that affection and commitment to and perseverance with those Christians that we worship with the ones you can see right now in this room, the ones that you know would be here if they could, those Christians that we worship with, the ones that are actually in our lives. The larger section that we're in here, chapter 3, verses 11 to 24, it's all about this genuine mark of belonging to Christ. It's all about calling us to be certain that we love each other. And it's not theoretical. It must be true of us. Last week we saw the first part of John's call to us, and it may have seemed kind of obvious, but it is also obviously critical for us, and it's this, we must make sure that we don't hate each other. If we're going to love each other, we can't hate each other. Like Cain hated his brother Abel, hate must die. Well, in our text today, John takes the mark of loving each other further. 
Let's read the three verses, and then we're going to focus first on verse 16. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, take a look at your Bibles there. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And again, here's verse 16. We'll put it up on the screen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. When it comes to anything valuable, being able to ensure that that thing is genuine, well, that's a critical thing. That's the only way you know that it's valuable. If you can guarantee, if you can ensure that it's genuine, A quick search online reveals how important authenticity is. There's a guide out there to tell you if your diamond is real or fake. That's kind of important. It includes a water test, a fog test, a UV light test, and various other means. And there is an article that gave three ways to tell if a company is fake or genuine. This is important, especially online these days. You come across these scams at times. It's important to know if the company you're doing business with actually exists. And then there was this, 14 ways to tell if someone, a person, is genuine or fake. Well, that sounds, that sounds promising, right? The Bible sort of specializes in that, actually. But this was someone's best shot at the subject. They had insightful in, in notes such as, number one, they have solid self-esteem. Number two, they give and receive compliments. And number three, they don't purchase lots of stuff. That's okay. There's some insight there. But when it comes to knowing what love is and that we are loved, we have something far better than someone's best shot at it. We have a guarantee of the greatest, truest, deepest, highest, longest, widest, fullest, most unending love. And you might say, how do you know that? And the answer is this. This is the authenticating factor. It's the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus demonstrates that we have received in him the greatest love of all. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. He died in our place. He died the death we should have died. He died the death we would have died. He died so that we would never die. He died so that when we die, we still live. How do we know this love? How do we know His love? By His death. The death that Jesus died was not simply any death. Every death is devastation, but his death was nuclear, scorched earth. His death was death to the uttermost. This is because his death absorbed the unbridled, fully concentrated wrath of God. Jesus was blasted on the cross with God's retribution for sin. 
And here's the thing. Jesus wasn't whelmed in fury for anything he had done. No. That was for us. It was in our place. He died in place of everyone who trusts him. That's why we say he's our substitute. He received the wrath of God in our place for our sin. That is love. We have the genuine thing. That is, if you're in the family of Jesus, you have this love of Christ. Now, before Jesus gave himself for us, he taught about what he was going to do. He taught his disciples. He used an illustration, a picture that was relevant to the people living around him in the first century. He gave them a word portrait of a shepherd. And so coming from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 15, 15 I am, Jesus says, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, a hired hand does not stick around when there's trouble, when his life may be in danger. Why? Because a hired hand does not have a personal deep love and commitment to those actual sheep, to those individual sheep, to the group of the sheep, to the entire flock. He doesn't have that. He's taken the job because he needs the pay. And when danger comes, his only calculation is this. Is this worth what I'm getting paid for? Let's see, I could lose my life or I could lose my salary. Hmm, hmm, I'm out of here. I'll lose the salary because I don't want to lose my life. And he takes off. You see, the sheep do not factor into his calculation at all. What factors into the, into the calculation of the hired hand is his life, not theirs. And that's the difference. When, the, when danger comes, the hired hand saves his own life. He loves himself, and the sheep get slaughtered. But that's not true of the good shepherd. He stands his ground. When the terror comes, he stands between death and his sheep, and he dies to protect them. He's torn, so the sheep live. That's the difference. That's how we've been loved. He dies to protect them. He dies to give us life. You see, brother, Sister, we know love in the highest form. And because we have his love, the real thing, the genuine article, that is, if we have it, if you've trusted him, then we give it to others. We give it to those that know him as well. We, we give it to our brothers and sisters to have his love, that love, that genuine, true love, that genuine article love, to have that love means 
to share that love. That's what it means to have His love. To have His love means to share His love. There is no having His love without sharing His love. To have His love, it's not like with other possessions. You know, you're given a gift and it belongs to you. But when, you, when He gives you His love, what that means is that you give it to others. To have His love means to give it, to pour it out. And again, that's why John writes in verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Because to have it means to give it. You see, He laid down His life for us, so we must love in deed and in truth. We know love. Well, second now, we have to show that love. We have to give it. We've received it. We have to give it. So then, how do we show this love of all loves to one another? How do we do that? This unsurpassable love, this bottomless love, this lofty first principle. What does it mean? What's the application of the notion, of the concept? Surely it will involve thought and effort so great that most of us will feel, we must feel inadequate to ever begin to implement any action in this regard, right? You know what that's like, right? When you, when you begin to, to get involved in something that seems so beyond you, so great that you can't possibly attain to it. It's like, well, how do I even get started here? And it can kind of demotivate you to engage, And when we realize how great and lofty this first principle of love is that we've received in Christ, we can almost feel that way. Like, how could I possibly show that to someone else? Mercifully, and I think unsurprisingly, or (laughs) mercifully, and I think surprisingly, that's not what comes next. It's not some lofty engagement that we are just so troubled, you know, it's so far beyond us, it troubles us. Like, how can I ever do this, what Jesus has done for me? How can I ever give myself in that way? We actually get a rather narrow, simple, clear point of application. And in light of what our Lord has done for us, the only answer to this calling that He gives us is to basically say, of course, of course I can do that. Of course I will do that. I will show his love in this way. So let's look at it. This is verses 17 to 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So think about this, how, how kind God is, how gracious He is, how he, he takes us along by the hand like children to teach us His ways. He gives us something we can do. And in doing it, it's this incredibly powerful thing in this world. In response to our Lord's sacrifice, His death so that we might live, we're being called here to simply make sure that none of our members are going about without daily food or basic needs met. We can do that, right? We can certainly do that, right? We're doing that. Think about it. If we just do that, just that, 
There will be an emanation of love shining forth from Crossway Church that is so unusual that it will draw people to Christ Jesus and we will live in the good of that love. You just heard an example of it when Steve talked about how you gave to the Benevolence Fund. Praise the Lord. Thank you for giving. That is an expression of your love for one another. That, those funds will be used to express the love of the whole church to those in need through the deacons and through those gifts. I know that we already excel in certain ways in loving each other. And we've mentioned some of this before, but it's good to talk about it again. I'm going to put a few people on the spot here. I hope it's okay. I think it's worthwhile the Browns continue to experience, the Brown family continues to experience the comfort of the Lord because of your love for them in, in a time of great, great loss, and the time of Ben's passing. I know this from Jasmine, of course. And Grace and I also had the opportunity to be with, to be with Matt and Mary recently. And once again, they were recounting the Lord's kindness through so many of you. I don't want to diminish too many heavenly treasures and rewards in the here and now, but I'm going to steal a little bit from some of you for the good of all. I can't help but be amazed at how Krista Oliver and Krista Whitmer organized the medical professionals from our membership to serve Ben during his last days, Ben and the whole family. That was a Herculean effort by those esteemed women and by all the medical pros of Crossway Church. I mean, our members couldn't do more. They wanted to do what they could. They wanted to show love in some way, and they joined together to serve. Praise the Lord. That was a powerful expression of love. That is laying down your life for your brothers and sisters. And, and how about this? Did you know that Ryan Vatter insisted on building the ramp for the Browns' front steps so that Ben could come home? I remember showing up at the Browns' house and thinking, my goodness, that was fast. How did this ramp get here so quickly? And I only learned recently that Ryan said, I am doing that. I think there were even others who wanted to do it. And he said, no way, you're not doing it. I'm doing it. And he built that ramp. What a beautiful gift of love. What John here, what John would call here, the world's goods. He had the world's goods in a sense, right? And he gave it out of love for others. So many of you did that. I, I really don't mean to uh, uh, shortchange anyone, but please know the Lord. More importantly, the Lord knows. And so you keep that secret of what you did out of love and the Lord will reward you. And he's the one you really want to reward you anyway. Many of our members excelled at showing love during this time of grief. And there are others right now that are experiencing the love of the body as they go through struggle, as we prayed for Clyde, and there were others that, uh, just a few others that had been hospitalized recently. And you're, we've, I've heard about your love for them. We should, we can, we must, we will Continue to grow in showing that genuine love to each other. And I think the Lord is calling each of us to grow in this. And there's something we can do today to show that love to each other. 
The Lord wants to stir up our hearts. This is a powerful thing. It may seem very straightforward, very simple. How many times have we heard about the love of Christ? How many times have we been called to love each other? But now is the time to do so. So that love is stirred up and demonstrated in this world. When you see that scripture up there on the screen, do you notice what's at the heart of the issue? At the heart of the issue, unsurprisingly, is the heart right? Our hearts, the idea of the heart here refers to what a person holds dearest, what they feel most strongly about. It's the command station of the emotions. It's where those values come through the the emotions and get expressed and come out of. It includes that expression of compassion. It's the idea that when we see a brother or sister in need, we should have an innate impulse, an urge to reach out, to seek to meet that need out of love for them. We take it as our responsibility to be aware of these needs. It's not just simply happening upon someone in need out there when we're out and about. We see someone in need and we think, oh, maybe I can help them. Good, wonderful, show that love. But among us, we need to be actively aware in our conversations with one another, in our small groups, our care groups. That's why the deacons have been deployed And we can do this for one another, especially if we seek to be aware, to have a heart that that says, oh, if if I come across that need, I want to be aware. Do you have needs so that I can have that impulse, that urge to seek to be helpful to you? Now, there's really only two positions for our hearts here. And you can see in the passage, our hearts are either open or closed. Open or close to each other. And there are many reasons that we give ourselves to justify closing our hearts to one another. But there's something very powerful going on. It's a simple test going on here. If we see the members of our Christian family in need and we are closed-hearted toward them, then there's only one possibility of what's going on there. The love of God is missing from us. How tragic would that be? How terrible would that be for someone to think that they belong to Jesus, but then to lack his love? That, that is a dreadful state of affairs. Why? Why is that so awful? Because that person would be living a lie. They'd be living a falsehood. They they think they have something. They think they have the love of God, but they do not. They think they understand the love of God, but they do not. It's like believing you have more in your checking account than you actually do. And when you go to use that debit card, reality in that moment is unforgiving, right? The cashier says, there's not enough on this card. And you're embarrassed. You're, oh, well, uh, uh, something must be wrong with your electronics. It's unforgiving, that reality. Well, there's something far more definitive going on here than giving our debit card, our checking account debit card to the cashier. 
We're being tested to see if the love of God is in us, whether we have the love of God so that it comes out of us. Because if we have it, we'll give it. You see what the Spirit is teaching us? He's saying through the Scriptures that if someone knows the love of the Savior, then that love will reside in them and result in an open heart towards the needs of our brothers and sisters. Remember earlier we talked about the mirror from James. We look in the mirror of God's Word so as to have a clear picture of who we truly are so that we can make the proper adjustments by His grace to be formed more into the image of our Lord, our Savior, the, 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 our, our, our King who we follow as His disciples. Well, let's enhance the, the mirror image so that we understand the effect more fully. The mirror is now, think of it as an x-ray machine, and it's taking chest x-rays. In fact, they've given you an injection, and now you have contrast surging through your body so that when the x-ray machine takes those pictures, you can look at the x-ray and you can see Is the love of God there? And it results in an open heart. Is there a healthy situation going on inside your chest? Or is it closed? And the reason it would be closed, that symptom of a closed heart, the root cause of that is that we don't have the love of Christ. if we don't have the love of Christ, if you don't have the love of Christ, I have wonderful news. You can know the love of Christ. Because when he gave himself on the cross for sinners, well, he gave himself for someone like you, sinners like us. And everyone who calls on his name, everyone who turns from sin, and repents and trusts him and is baptized in his name, belongs to him, becomes part of his family, and knows his love. And then your heart will be open and you'll give his love. True self-evaluation can be painful, but it's far better to know the truth so that we can remedy it, right? Correction can be brought rather than to remain continually in self-deception. Look in the mirror. Let the x-ray do its work. Is your heart open to this, your family? Because his love abides within you? Or is it closed to the people around you? You don't even see their needs because it's closed. And then when you see them, you dismiss them or you just go on. Or rather, you seek to understand their needs so that you have that impulse to meet that need. And if you have the world's goods, you can give to meet those needs. We cannot move on, come to a close without bringing proper emphasis to something that the Scriptures want us to to see here. Verse 18 again, you see it underlined. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You and I know that talk is cheap. 
In our own experience, we don't appreciate people who talk big. We don't appreciate the big talkers. Sometimes we even catch ourselves being the big talkers. We talk big, like Peter talked big, right? But then the character is not there. Why is it that we have a tendency to talk big but deliver little? We don't have a lot of time to examine it right now, but I think it is related to the same idea as that inflated self-evaluation. Like Peter, we tend to think that we are more noble, more just, more righteous, stronger, wiser, more insightful, more generous, more loving than we truly are. We have the capacity to deceive ourselves and therefore to self-destruct. Our love for each other must not be in word only. And that's what we had to look at in that mirror. When we hold the Scripture up, we had to say, am I, am I loving more in talk than in action? Do I have the world's goods and yet have a closed heart and keep them from those that are in need? Our love for each other must not be in word only. In fact, it would be better to speak less and do more. That's part of what the Scriptures are teaching here. He laid down His life for us. So we must love in deed and in truth. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.